The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you for how you in your wisdom have planned a time for us, your people, to gather together to encourage one another with you, to sing and to pray and to speak and to hear your word. It is a gift you give us. Thank you. So help us now to take that gift to receive it and, and to receive all that you mean to give us in it. Particularly, Lord, would you grow in us deeper communion with you this morning, even right now, because of this time. Grow in us deeper communion with you for the encouragement of our hearts, for life in us. We're going to talk about that, but I pray that you would do that. That you would bring that about this morning, that you would bring about cinching up of us with you, a, a tightening of relationship with you, a deepening of fellowship. So don't just let us think about that and hear about that, but please accomplish that even this morning as we sit in these chairs and listen. Meet us. Meet us personally. Meet us intimately. Show yourself here this morning. Lord, make this word clear, make, make these verses clear, build your people, and honor your name. That's what we look for from you this morning, by your spirit, build your church, and honor your name. Thank you, Lord, we trust this to you, amen. Somebody could close the door, perhaps, if we need to, not sure. All people everywhere are looking for life. Not just a life of existence, but rather existence with quality. Such that we would say something like this, this life, this is desirable. This is satisfying. This is appealing. This is good. This is life. We're all after that. It's, it's human. And though we pursue it in all kinds of different ways, this, this search for life is, is a very human thing, and it's natural and good and fine. It's put in there by the God who made us. And we live in this world, which means we're looking for life here. In this world. We're looking for it here. But right there is our problem. Is that life we are looking for while here it's not found in the things that we can see here. Not ultimately, not directly. The things here that are put here, the material things, the experiences, the feelings, the people, the relationships, they're all pointers towards life, meant to lead us on to life. But too often we miss the signs. Like, like an animal, a dog, even young children will will not realize that this is pointing across the street at something else and they'll focus on this, not miss the sign and look at the pointer itself. Well, the, the things that God has put here in this world, they're pointing towards something, but too often we look at the thing itself and seek the life in the thing in this world rather than what it's trying to point to. And we have an enemy who really wants to help us do just that miss the sign and focus on the pointer. We seek life in this world and we have an enemy who wants to help us find it in this world for a time, in a way. 
maybe even to, to satisfy us with that life for a time in a way. If, if that works, anything, if, if, that's what it, if, that's, if that works to keep us from moving our eyes, our gaze onto where life is actually found, that's what he'll help us with. He'll help us to focus on and to miss. To miss what's pointing to or, or miss who it's all pointing to. See, the things that were put here are from and are for someone else and, and are, are for pointing us onto that someone else. The one who is life itself, Jesus. As a Christian, you, you realize this. If you're, if you're a Christian this morning, you realize this, and probably all along you kind of had that in mind. You kind of probably saw where I was going with this. We're good. But that's still our problem, too. This is a human thing. No matter who we are, if, if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, we all live in this world and we're all looking for life and we're all tempted and we all have an enemy who wants us to look at the pointer and not at what's pointed to. That's what Paul's getting at in our passage today in Colossians chapter 2. If you're a Christian, you are in Christ. For sure, certainly. Saw this last week in verses 6 and 7. We need to walk and live that out. That was his point. But it's possible, though in Christ for certain, it's possible to live as if in denial of that. Or, to put it in the language I'm using now, it's possible to live missing the pointed to one. And to walk in the ways of the world as if life can actually be found here. To live in the world and of the world. But we're, we're not to do that. We're commanded against that in, in verse 6. And we're, we're commanded against that in verses 8, 9, and 10 this morning. And we're also reasoned with. So often this is how God works. God, God is so good to work this way. Certainly the Bible is full of commands. But very often, God who made us and God who knows how we work, he lays out a command and then he lays out reasons. He says, this is, and, and here's why. Here's why. And in this case, this is and here's why. Because you can't actually find life in the things in this world apart from me. So I want you to find life. He's going to reason with us this morning, not just command. Life, fullness of life, is found only in Jesus. And he's going to tell us that and, and reason with us this morning. And that, that's what we're going to be working towards in 8, 9, and 10 in Colossians chapter 2. Life, fullness of life, is found in Jesus. That's where we're going. Let me read the passage. This is Colossians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, and then I'll draw two observations from it. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Colossians 2, 8 to 10. Make two observations. And because the bridge out of last week's passage used this, this command of walking, that's what leads us into this passage, I'm using that idea of walking in each of the observations this morning. So here's the first. Walk alert. Because you are in danger. Walk alert. Because you are in danger. This is verse 8. See to it, he says. There's an exhortation there. See to it that no one takes you captive. It's Paul's warning to the church there in Colossae. Earlier in verse 4, he'd mentioned this threat of, of plausible arguments, of plausible but false arguments, things that seem reasonable but don't produce the life that we're after. Well, 
Here it's similar. There's something the church is facing there that threatens them. And as we've said before, it's not exactly clear what or who or all the ins and outs of all the arguments. It's not totally clear what they were facing, but they were facing something. There are some clues which we'll come to. But what is clear enough is that this church is facing a present danger. Someone around them, some ones, probably some false teachers around them, who are in the church or around the church who might take you captive, which is a very colorful word. It belongs in, in a context of, of, of the military, of some sort of fighting, conflict. Picture a war party on a raid. You've got the, the innocent village, the people just hanging out, plowing their fields, chopping wood, hanging up clothes to dry, and then out of the woods, suddenly, surprisingly, sweeps the raiding party. They suddenly attack and they carry off plunder, goods and cattle and people, as prisoners to be used as slaves. That's the taken captive idea here. Plundered and carried off. Watch out for that. That danger is real. Be alert to it so that it won't happen to you. That's, that's a warning to them. It's, it's a warning to all of us. Be alert. Make sure that doesn't happen to you. Okay, alert for what? We're actually physically going to see people Swooping out of the woods. Alert to what? Well, next phrase, philosophy and empty deceit. Or as some translations put it a little bit better, empty deceitful philosophy. Because this is telling us to be alert to a certain type of philosophy, not all philosophy of all sorts and, and any disciplined thinking. It's helpful to understand this clearly. In Paul's time, certainly some of the Greek philosophers that you've heard of, the, the Stoics or the Epicureans, we don't really know what those people actually thought. But we know those words, and, and they were around in Paul's time, the philosophers. But that word in our passage here is not only about the formal schools of philosophy. It's kind of a catch-all word, a bit like it is today. We talk about philosophy of life or philosophy of education. It's, it's a catch-all for a way of thinking about and approaching things. So it included the formal schools of, of philosophy, but it also included all kinds of other approaches to life and all kinds of education systems and all kinds of religions and even black magic because all those fields had something and some things in common. They are the ways that people, in, in, that's what philosophy is about, these are the ways that people try to get knowledge and understanding and know-how that enables them to, to gain wisdom and insight into the world and its workings and, and how to make it happen. Wisdom and understanding and insight into what's going on around them so as to make it all work, to control it, to steer it. Towards what end? To get life. To get something out the other side that I would say, there, now, this existence that I have is good and desirable and satisfying and pleasing. I have understood and I have figured out and I have, I have learned and I can now stand in this way and push this way. And what happens is now I know how to win friends and influence people, how to make money and leverage it, how to free up my mind to experience peace and release and pleasure and how to maximize my beauty how to appease the gods and earn favor and blessing from them, how to make myself safe and secure, prosperous, strong, etc. Philosophy is a way to find life. The world was and is full of it. It's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. It's in, it's in every TV channel, it's in every magazine, every newspaper, every conversation, every office place, every educational institution. It's everywhere. Some way will be commended to you and, and offered up as attractive, and it will have some appeal because it will make some sense. It has to make some sense. 
There wouldn't have any appeal. This makes some sense. Walk alert. Be on guard. Because there is empty, deceitful philosophy out there that can't deliver life. It's empty. Specifically, then, Paul offers up some phrases to, to further clarify what he means. And he's, he's probably speaking to their particular situations. Presents a couple things here. Philosophy, that is, according to human tradition. Emphasis on human. According to human tradition. It will match the wisdom of people around us and those from the past. And perhaps this is, again, as I said, there's a lot of discussion about what exactly is he talking about, because he never actually directly names things, but maybe this is an allusion to some past religious traditions. But at the very least, what it's saying is, our forefathers thought like this, bought this, ag agreed with this, did this. It has a practice of history behind it. Lots of people have found this meaningful and helpful. You should too. And there can be a certain persuasiveness in something that has a pedigree to it. As well as when something seems very spiritual. The next phrase, it's philosophy according to the elemental spirits of the world. Almost certainly a reference to the spirits. Spirit powers. Here are some ways... It, it, it is suggested here are some ways that have been found to appease the religious powers, the, the gods, the, the idols of this area, of, of this people group, of, of the, the area of life related to, let's say, fertility or, or security or travel. They had, they had gods for all these different areas. And, and what was offered up to people were, here's how you, here's how you appease this one. And, and if you need over here, then do this. You'll earn this God's favor, and he or she will give you blessing. We'll provide a life for you that's good. Now, he mentions these things because of their context. And, and really, we're not exactly interested in what they were facing. That was a long time ago, and their problem was, was their problem. But we're interested in it to the degree that it matches what we face. And it does, in a way. Especially as you look at the emphasis of human and spiritual. And look at the third phrase. That is, not according to Christ. Human, contrary to Christ. Spiritual, contrary to Christ non-Christ-centered human, non-Christ-centered spiritual. Are there any non-Christ-centered human perspectives? Any non-Christ-centered human wisdom, human ways of going about life, human ways of doing business, human ways of pursuing the good life, any non-Christ-centered human practices that are sneaking up on you? Or maybe have already captured you and carried you off into enslavement? When it reasons with you, that non-Christ-centered human perspective, when it reasons with you, it does not sound like this here is the dumbest thing you've ever heard. It makes no sense and it can't possibly help. It'll cost you a ton of time, money, and energy, and in the end it will leave you feeling empty, exploited, and hurt. So why don't you try it? Lots of other people do. Of course not. Nothing sells itself like that. The offer, the attraction, the lure 
laid out in front of you sounds like what? Here is something good. Here. This, this, this is what you've been missing. I, I know you've been pursuing life. You know what? This is where it is, right here. This is what will bring you satisfaction, acceptance, rest, delight, joy. And then you begin to think, oh, you're right. You know, if I, if I had the respect of my peers at work, then I'd be somebody and I'd be satisfied. That's what gave me the respect of my peers at work? Good. You know, if I had, you're right, I am alone. If I had boyfriend, girlfriend, if I had husband, wife, if I had children, if I had grandchildren of these sorts, that would fill me. That's what's missing, I'm alone, and I need a person of this sort and type. So you're right, I need to pursue that. My life, I really have to be true to myself. You're right, to be genuine. Is not that the word, the word of our day? To be true to yourself and to be genuine. You're right. If, if I could be true to myself, the, the, the me that I am, at least who I think I am, at least right now in this moment, tomorrow I may think I'm someone else. But if I could be true to who I am right now and be genuine, that's what will produce satisfaction in me. That would be how I would really live. Or, you know, a lot of people say you haven't lived unless you've been to Paris, so I better travel and see the world. Or if only I had more time to ski or hike or relax or read. If I had that motorcycle, if I had that wardrobe, that cool pair of jeans, that iPhone, whatever. Now, are those things bad? I have an iPhone, I own a pair of jeans, I have been to Paris, I am married, and I have kids. I hope those things aren't all bad. No, of course they aren't all bad. But they're pointers. And the problem is when we miss what they're pointing, who they're pointing to, and seek life in these things themselves, in the acquisition of these things, we end up enslaved to them. Enslaved how? If you think life's found in that, that you're going to sacrifice, live for, pursue, and, and want, and you must have, and you will sin to keep these things so you can have them and own them and have life, and you realize, actually, they own me. I must have them, that, these, those. I'm owned by them. And they are empty. They don't give you life. They cannot give you life. They were put here as good things, many of them sweet and precious things, put here to point us to the one who is life. This isn't it. Now I list jeans and motorcycles and iPhones and relationships and respect. What is it for you? It's something. Those might not be the things that are lurking in the woods outside of your peaceful house. Those might not be the things that have wrapped you up and carried you off. But what is it for you? If I don't have this, if I don't practice that, if I don't hang out with these, if I don't wear that, if I don't eat this or drink this or go here or flip it around, if I can avoid this and not do that and avoid those ones and not hang out with this and not wear that, then I'll have life, and it'll be good and pleasurable and desirable. What is it for you? Non-Christ-centered human, worldly. Christ could meet you and give you life in the middle of those things, and Christ has given you many of those things that you would look you would follow the line back to him and find life in him. But contra him, it's just death. And this could be true, too, of very religious things. Non-Christ-centered spirituality is just as deadly. 
Now, for some of us, even in America today, and certainly, certainly some of us who have come to America from other parts of the world or who currently live in other parts of the world, you don't need to change the context at all. You don't need to modify it at all because dealing with the powers is a daily reality. See, many of us, we need to kind of think about, I'm not really in touch with the demonic, and I don't really think about idols that much and the spiritual powers. But a lot of folks have always and still do say, duh, what are you talking about? There are powers. And Jesus, if you look at the end of verse 10, Paul wants to just drop in a little reminder. He's talked about this already. He's the head of all rule and authority. Words he's used from chapter 1 already, spiritual rule and spiritual authority. There's, there's the powers. Jesus means to say, Paul means to say, give them no mind. Living towards, living in light of, living according to the powers, no point. Jesus reigns over them. But for most of us, we don't, really live regularly in touch with the elemental spirits of the world. So I think about this spiritually and think about how many of us do still think non-Christ-centered spiritually. And we think life can be found in the spiritual practices Obeying this and giving that and attending this, answering that calling and responding to this order. By my obedience and by my action and by, if I hold my mouth just right and rub my hands together, then I will appease this God or these gods and he will bless. Made this point a few times in past weeks. It's a very subtle point. There's a difference here between can you follow Jesus and disobey him? No. I'm not talking about either or. But when we look to the commandments, when we look to the practices, when we look to the religions apart from Christ, we're off. There's no life. There's, there's no life in spirituality. It may seem like it for a little while, but there's no life in spirituality because life is in Jesus. Jesus himself walking with him as we talked about last week consistently communing with him himself. There's a subtle difference there but a big difference. Life is in Christ. And that brings us to the second observation but the first one there remember walk alert you're in danger. Secondly then, though, walk aware. You're full of all you need in Christ. Christian, walk aware of this. You are full of all you need in Christ. Verse 9. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity, which is almost double redundant, as if you could have like something less than whole fullness, and as if God can be less than whole fullness. It's, all, it's double redundant, just to make a point. Point already been made in chapter one. God is everything. Every, 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 everything. God is everything. The whole fullness. He's, he's, he's everything. And that, all that God is, that is in this Jesus. So we have to be about Jesus because Jesus is God and God is everything. He's what? He's who we need. God dwells in Jesus bodily. 
it says. God in flesh, which is one of those things that we as Christians, we kind of throw around as if it's common, ordinary truth, but it isn't. that is not ordinary. If you read the old catechism, we did this with our kids, and the kids' version of this one, when they were young. What is God? God is spirit and has no body as we do, is the answer that the child hears and repeats. God is spirit and has no body as we do. <laughs> he dwells bodily. That's amazing. Yeah, God is spirit, and spirit, who has no body, took on a body. Fully God became real, live, honest-to-goodness, fully man. That is unusual. A mystery revealed God's great plan that God would dwell bodily in Jesus. It's true. This is Jesus. That's who he is. And so therefore, any philosophy on life, any view or perspective or approach or value system or goal that is not according to Jesus, that isn't Jesus-centered and Jesus-driven and Jesus-focused, is by necessity empty. Because it doesn't have God in it, who is everything. It's empty, it's deceitful when it offers itself up as life. Marvelously, this Christ is ours and is for us. Verse 10. And you have been filled in him. Notice the language of in him that starts here and is repeated a number of times through the verses that follow, as we'll see. Paul is, is making a great point here, uh, making an extensive point here, that in union with Christ, much marvelous blessing has come to us. We have great privilege for instance, in particular right here, it means that we have the fullness of God in Christ, and then us in Christ, we have the fullness of God in Christ for us, with us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul has already said. The fullness of God-filled Christ is in you. And so it is more than just wrong to follow any philosophy that's apart from Christ. It's unnecessary and pointless. You have everything. Why follow something else that has nothing? It's not just wrong. It's pointless. The author and creator of life dwells in you. The fountain of life is open to you. There isn't anything that you need that you don't have. You are full in Christ. So right about this point, I'm following all that through and I'm looking at it and I'm understanding it. It's not that difficult of, a, of an argument to follow. But I bump into, me personally, I bump into a two-part dilemma. The first part of the dilemma is that I wonder, so why do I still feel empty sometimes and pursue life elsewhere? If I need to go find it. So I follow the argument, perfectly clear. So why is that? And then the second part, I'm wondering, is there some way that I can understand or, or grasp or experience this this? filling a little more or a little better because it's, it's a metaphor, which is perfectly clear. You think about like a vessel and, and some liquid or something, sand, filling it up and then it's full. I get that. But it's not literally that I'm a vessel that some liquid is poured into. So what's, what's it getting at? What's the metaphor picturing? Is there some way that I can understand it a little bit better, a little bit more? There's my, my two-part dilemma, why still empty so as to seek life somewhere else, and then is there some way I can get at, can, 
can kind of break into or, or under the, the metaphor of full and filling a little bit. Grasp it a little more. So here's where God takes my thoughts in this passage. Why is verse 9 true? It is. But why is the plan of God that all his fullness be embodied in Jesus? And one answer that we know right away should leap to our minds for the sake of the cross for the sake of saving people from sin. And praise God, this, 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 is, this is beautiful. God planned a way for the sin of people, human beings. It's the sin of, of flesh and blood people could be paid for, laid onto another real flesh and blood person. Payment for sin was, was required from a flesh and blood person. So here's a, a real man who would die on the cross under God's curse and rise again as proof that it worked. The curse transferred onto and was paid for by a man, by a human in flesh, Jesus. And then that man had a life of obedience as a person bodily, fleshly, as a person, a life of obedience to all of God's law to transfer onto other people. So I'm a person and I have a real active obedience, a human obedience. Jesus is on me and my curse, my penalty, transferred onto and paid for by a real person, Jesus. It works, the exchange works because God dwells bodily in Jesus. It had to be that way for the sake of forgiveness and salvation. Yes. Good. Amen. But there's more. Why else? Why else is the fullness of God in Jesus bodily? So that God could fulfill his plan to make a righteous Messiah king a right human ruler over the creation. From the very beginning, God designed people to be the rulers, to husband the earth, to rule over it. And then God promised a person in the line of David to be king over it, to reign, to give control of all the nations and all the happenings of all the nations. And he promised to empower a person to fix and direct them according to what was right and to put down the great rebellion and bring about all that God wants in blessing to his people in righteousness and in justice and in power. God dwelling bodily in Jesus means there is a ruler, there is a king. And more. Why else verse 9? also how God fulfills his plan to make a perfect priest. This Jesus died, risen, ascended alive. He became a great high priest, the one that we need, who can identify with us in all of our failings and struggles and shortcomings and wonderings and confusions and hurts because he was just like me in this world. Walking the same paths. It's the point made in the book of Hebrews. We have a high priest who's just like us, a person. But not just like us. Perfect. Ascended in heaven. Has opened up access into the throne room of God. Goes in there himself and always lives to plead for exactly what it is he knows you need. Because he was you. And he can ask and ask and ask, and he has heard and heard and heard. He 
He is fully wise and fully understanding and has all insight into every one of our, each one of our little heart situations and knows what's really needed, knows what's actually going on. And as a great high priest pleads for, intercedes for us moment by moment, day by day, he establishes communion between us and God. Because God dwells bodily in Jesus, we have a priest and more. Why else? So that there could be one who would teach us just exactly what was needed in the moment and not according to what he's heard other people say, but according to what he himself knows, what he himself commands, what he himself requires. Here's the great prophet who teaches with all wisdom and knowledge and authority and who is always right and always exactly perfectly wise can be trusted because he's holy, holy, holy. He walked the earth and taught and now has ascended alive again and has sent into the world his spirit to live in each believer and carry on the ministry of counsel and guidance and teaching and correcting and rebuking and encouraging and comforting with the truth. The truth. His truth. This is the ministry of profit to us carried out because God dwelt in Jesus bodily. Carried out on earth and now carried out in heaven by his spirit. So wrap all that back together. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Jesus. God's plan of redemption conceived hatched executed so Jesus God and man was and is and so therefore there is a prophet a teacher who knows everything about everything and can teach it still by his spirit and there is a priest who always lives to intercede and to ask for what is needed and to create communion with the God who is beautiful. And there is a king who has power to give exactly what should be. And because there was a God-man sacrificed as a lamb to take away sin and raised for our justification, Christian, you are united with all of that. It is not just that there is, there is. We are in Him, and He, glory, is in us. And moment by moment is never less than the perfect prophet, never less than the perfect priest, never less than the perfect king, never less than a full, full, full redeemer of you. He has planned, hatched, and executed a redemption plan for you that is total. And so obviously, naturally, you are filled in him, and anything that cuts him out is stupid. I know some of us teach our kids that that's not a good word to say. I apologize. It's a really, 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 really bad thing. Pointless and hopeless and empty. Deceitful. You want to cut out prophet, priest, and king, redeemer, and savior, the one who brings you and puts you in all of that, and follow the wisdom of men? No! That is stupid. This one is, there is fullness in this one, and that fullness is in me. And it's not just in me, it's not just mine, not just yours, Christian, in the sense of the, the good things that he does for us. He, he teaches me truths, and he, he answers my prayers, and he, and he 
you know, massages the circumstances. No, 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 no. It's communion with that one, with that one who is beautiful. Beautiful is an odd word to describe God, perhaps. But it's, it's the best word that, that I, that lots of other people, grab to put the whole thing in perspective. It's, it's not only wise, not only powerful. It's sweet, beautiful, amazing. Communion with that one. That's what you have. That's what God has worked for you. You have him, and so you have all of that. What can you possibly lack? Nothing. Nothing. That is life. To have that is to have certainty of full, desirable, good life. I once heard someone say a long time ago, I think it was actually a theme of a conference I went to like decades ago. I can still picture it. In gigantic letters, they put it on the wall of the conference center. It's a hotel ballroom. Life equals Christ plus nothing. In him is fullness of life, fullness of joy, all that you need. This is what our hearts were made for. So the second part of my dilemma, so why still feel empty sometimes and chase after life elsewhere? Is that one filling you? He dwells in you, for sure. You're in him, he is in you. He dwells in you. You've been fully fully filled. You don't have like half of him or two-thirds of him. You have all of him. You do not lack him. But the only thing that will keep you from pursuing life somewhere else in the pointer rather than in the pointed to one, the only thing that will keep you from chasing life apart from Christ is the actual experience of true life in Christ. Not just the knowledge that you have all you need, the experiencing of all you need. To walk with him, to consistently commune with him, Why still sometimes feeling empty and chasing life elsewhere? Well, the answer is because this one who is filling me is not filling me. This one who dwells in me is not controlling and influencing and driving. I'm not consistently communing with him. Right. To commune with him. And and maybe what helps you is to think about communing with him in his offices. To think of him in, in a moment where, where you are inclined to walk one way, to think, what, what's, what's my issue here? Is it confusion? I have a prophet. Is it hopelessness? I have a priest. Is it weakness and fear? I have a king. Maybe that can be a piece of helping you walk in Christ, to consistently commune with him, to commune with him in his offices but to commune with him and to be filled with him, consistently communing with him. That is necessary to find life. An old Puritan preached a sermon that I've actually never read, but the title is beautiful. The title makes his rounds. You've heard numerous people mention this before, I, I would imagine. But write this down. Because here, ultimately, I think, is the answer to why sometimes still searching for life elsewhere. The title of the sermon, The Expulsive Power, expulsive as in expelling, The Expulsive Power of a Superior Affection. One affection expels another. There's power in a superior affection. 
Write that down, noodle on that. Why chase life somewhere else? Because I'm not experiencing life in Christ. To experience life with this Savior, prophet, priest, king, will drive out all the folly that the world offers. Commune with him, walk with him, find life in him. Let me pray. Father, you have filled us, your people, a tremendous, beautiful plan offered, accomplished by you, but now, Lord, please give more. We dare to ask you to do even more. As Pastor Jed prayed earlier, that's how we honor you. We ask you to do even more. So do more. Don't just leave us filled. Fill us. Move us to walk with you in the center of our hearts and draw us on and give us life in you, please. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.